When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those that a podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, happy belated Easter, bro. Yeah, same to you, bro. It's just a nice time to be able to relax, spend some good quality time with the fam. I know that's what I did. I imagine you probably did the same. Spent it with the in-laws. Got to see uh, Mama Dukes the day before with my brother. Um, shout out to my little brother. He got his first big boy job. He's actually working in Lee Health Hospital. Yes, sir. You love to see it. Love to see yes, it. Making sir. moves, dude. Making moves. Big moves. Big moves. Got a job faster than me out of college. Graduated college faster than me and paid his own way. Super proud of him. God, you just dunked on yourself there, bro. Come on. Don't bro, I had to go through the financial aid route. I went to bigger schools at the time. He went the community college route and got a four-year degree out of it. You love to see it. Yes, sir. Yeah, proud bro. of him. Yes, sir. But, uh, Kev, I... I know that Easter has come and gone, but bro, we got a lot of topics to go over today. We're gonna have a pretty jam-packed episode covering a lot of different sports. So, if you'll allow me the floor, let's go over this agenda real quick. Please proceed. All right. So, what we'll do is we'll do a quick recap of UFC 287 that took place in Miami. It was an action-packed weekend with everything related in the UFC. Uh, really, the two fights that we'll go over will be the Israel Adesanya Alex Pereira fight. That was the middleweight championship bout between both guys. Uh, Izzy gets a second round knockout against Pereira to reclaim that middleweight belt. And then Gilbert Burns handily defeated Jorge Masvidal in what was Jorge's last fight in the UFC. Jorge, game-bred Masvidal, has been in the game probably like 15, 20 years in MMA. Unfortunately, came short in his final fight in Miami, but he got the fight in front of his hometown and decided to call it quits after a 20-year career in MMA. After that, we will kick it to the NFL. We got one topic to get to in the NFL. This is going to be in regards to Odell Beckham signing a one-year deal upwards of $18 million uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. $15 million of that contract is guaranteed. Obviously, just kind of like from a general perspective, uh, this is the move that could potentially entice Lamar Jackson to stay long-term with the Baltimore Ravens. Kevin and I will talk about whether or not this is enough to keep Lamar in Baltimore happy for the foreseeable future. And then after that, we're going to be all NBA. We're going to go over every play-in tournament game. We have four games on the slate. Let me take a second to pull up all the games in order. All right, so the first game that we will go over will be the Hawks and Heat. That's at 7.30 on Tuesday night. After that, we got the Timberwolves and the Lakers at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. And then the two Wednesday games, we've got the Bulls and the Raptors in Toronto. And then the Thunder and the Pelicans. 
Uh, obviously, we have a lot to get to with those play-in tournament games. Uh, we'll go over each game individually, and then once we wrap up the play-in tournament games, we're going to talk about the drama that the Timberwolves have been going through over the last couple of days. The regular season for them did not end well. Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert got into a sideline scrap during the middle of one of their games this past weekend. Uh, Rudy Gobert was suspended for the playing tournament game uh, that the Minnesota Timberwolves will go up in or they'll play in against the Lakers on Tuesday. And also, Jaden McDaniels broke his hand after uh, he received a technical foul and ended up punching a wall, fracturing his hand. So they're going through a lot of stuff in Minnesota right now. So we'll round out the episode with all that drama that's going in Minnesota. But Kev, I'll kick this one to you for the UFC setup. Bro, it was lit this weekend in Miami. Yeah, I mean, I saw highlights. I saw more highlights and clips of the fight for this particular UFC event more than I have for a while. But I mean, for somebody that's so into the sport, for somebody that's actually looking forward to a lot of these matchups, dude, I got to hear... What are your thoughts on the incredible showing that was UFC 87 this past Saturday? I thought it was fantastic. It was a great weekend for the UFC. I thought UFC 287 really lived up to expectations. I got to start with this Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira fight because obviously this was the fight that everybody was talking about going into the weekend and it lived up to expectations. Israel Adesanya knocks out Alex Pereira in the second round, which to be quite honest with you, I wasn't expecting the lead up to this fight. I was banking on the idea more times than not that Alex Pereira would win this fight over Izzy. And I have to say, man, I got to give Israel Adesanya a lot of credit when he reclaimed this title from Alex Pereira. The fact that he let Alex Pereira not walk him down, but the fact that Pereira was pushing the pace and was limiting the space in between himself and Izzy and got Izzy's back up against the cage. This was very similar to what we saw in the last fight between these two where Alex Pereira was able to get a finish against Israel Adesanya. Granted, Alex Pereira won in a TKO in that last fight because the referee called it off. But essentially, this was the same predicament that Izzy got himself into uh, in the last fight. But I have to say, Izzy baited Pereira, which was something I was not expecting. And when Pereira was raining down some shots, and, and Alex was landing some good shots against Izzy when Izzy's back was up against the cage, Izzy hits two shots back-to-back on Pereira. The first one stuns him, and the second one just drops him. It was a phenomenal knockout. I mean, Alex was out like a light. And the fact that he did it in the second round so quickly, man, I really got to give a tip to the cap to Izzy because I just wasn't expecting Izzy to knock him out. If anything, in the lead up to the fight, I was expecting that Pereira would more than likely get a knockout if one were to happen in this fight. Fortunately for Izzy, he was the one that was able to land the knockout and reclaim that middleweight belt, which was just a phenomenal showing. And you know, when it comes to the aftermath of the fight, when you look at Israel Adesanya, he's cleared out that division. And you know, I don't know what Israel Adesanya's future plans are, if he's going to stay in the middleweight division or if he's going to move up. I mean, he did have that one fight at light heavyweight against Jan Blagojevich a couple uh, months ago. It was not a couple months ago. It was probably over a year ago at this point. But 
outside of that, Izzy would have a pretty difficult time, I think, moving up to light heavyweight simply just because he's so slender to begin with. Granted, he's extremely athletic. No, Never going to take that away from him. But the the weight difference for him moving up to light heavyweight, I think, would be a stretch. So I think more than likely he's going to stay in that middleweight division. And then when it comes to Alex Pereira, obviously with him, he loses the belt against Izzy. But I think at this point, I think, I think Alex is going to move up to light heavyweight. I think when you look at Alex's body structure to begin with, I think that light heavyweight division is more suited for him. The fact that he was able to cut weight so effectively to have these middleweight fights up against Izzy is was really a sight to behold. Because Kevin and I, we were just looking at the, the physical structure of Alex Pereira. This guy walks around at like 220 pounds, 225. And the fact that he's able to cut weight effectively to get to this 185 mark is really a testament to his work ethic because <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. So I think unless they were to run it back between Izzy and Pereira, I think Alex is going to go that light heavyweight route and see where see where he can go with it. But just an awesome fight. Izzy gets the middleweight title back and uh, we'll see where he goes from here and more than likely, Alex is going to go up to light heavyweight. And then to focus on the other main fight that we had in UFC 287, obviously the Gilbert Burns-Jorge Masvidal fight. Uh, this was completely one-sided. Gilbert dominated this fight from beginning to end. And Jorge Masvidal called it a career, uh, retiring after UFC 287 after losing to Gilbert Burns. And I think this was the, the right decision by Jorge. Jorge had a phenomenal run in the UFC. And the last couple fights, you could tell that there was a drop-off in his total effectiveness. I'm not going to say that he was a scrub out there in the cage. I'm never going to say that. He has knockout power. His striking power is really something to behold. But unfortunately for him, he's just going up against guys who are just flat-out killers. And Gilbert Burns has been on a really good stretch lately. And you know, I was hoping that Jorge would have his shine you know, being back in Miami, fighting essentially in his hometown, uh, but it just didn't work out for him. Gilbert Burns was excellent in his takedowns. His ground control was extremely effective against Jorge. And once we got to that third round, this was only a three-round fight, Jorge looked gassed out there, and it looked like Gilbert was just hitting his strides. So this is a one-sided affair. Gilbert handily won. And when it comes to Gilbert, Gilbert, like I said, has been on a really good stretch lately, had that... A nice win against Neil Magny before this fight. Had this completely one-sided, you could basically say a lopsided victory over Jorge. And, you know, even though they lost that uh, that Hamzat fight uh, about a year ago, yeah, you take that away. I mean, Gilbert's been on a pretty good stretch lately, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a pretty good fight upcoming when that opportunity presents itself. But, you know, just to kind of round out that Jorge and Gilbert fight, you know, a tip to the cap to Jorge. Had some memorable moments. Obviously, the biggest one that comes to mind was the Ben Askren knockouts, the fastest knockout in UFC history where he hit that flying knee. Ben was out like a light. Obviously, that was Jorge's probably biggest moment in his UFC career. But there's a laundry list of how many moments that Jorge had. Obviously, that was just one of them. But it was a very nice career that Jorge had in the UFC. He's got nothing left to prove. Definitely has... Uh, more than enough money to take care of himself and his family from here on out. And uh, 
like I said, a tip to the cap to the guy. But uh, no, UFC 287 lived up the expectations. And if you got a chance to watch it, uh, definitely exciting as far as I see it. I mean, like I said, I definitely saw more of this particular event than others. It's actually kind of funny. I was already up for the Izzy fight. And you know how social media is. You can find a stream anywhere. I was on TikTok. And I actually got the start of the first round. And it, it, it looked entertaining, but I was already gassed. I was exhausted and whatever. And I passed out. And of course, the first thing I do when I wake up is I'm trying to see the events from the night before. Mm-hmm. First thing I see before I even check your, your DM from Twitter is the Izzy knockout. And I was like, damn. Like To think that I missed that knockout by like maybe 15 minutes, because obviously the first round just started. Then you have that little intermission. And like I probably missed it by less than 15 minutes, realistically. And... I was mad at myself because I was like, damn, <laughs> I could have talked about this fight. And uh, I don't know, man. Like, when you see events like that, I, it sounds cliche with UFC. You just hope for the knockout. You want to see something entertaining. Like, of course. You don't want it to go all the way to the fifth round just to be a decision by the judges. Everybody's depends. got a different opinion. It, it Everyone's depends. got different opinions because if you're biased or you, you like the other fight, you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, like, I think that he clearly won. It, it's give and take like anything else. But from what I did see, and of course, the recap of the fight, specifically the Izzy fight, that shit was crazy. And it's moments like that where I'm like, I really wish like Kyle lived here because I don't really know anybody else in the Fort Myers area that like watches the fights religiously. I don't know. It would just be a lot easier for me to kind of keep up with it. I would be able to get into it, ask questions, kind of learn about the classes and shit like that. But alas, Kyle and I will live in a big mansion one day or at least in a cul-de-sac around one another. and We'll figure it out. Well, you know, the crazy thing is when that knockout happened, you know, the thing is, I'm typically more reserved, like, when it comes to, like, the podcast. Oh, you guys I, I, I'm aware. <laughs> you guys don't typically see me get super animated, but the first thing that came out of my mouth when Izzy got that knockout was, oh, shit. I said, like, oh, shit, like, three or four times in a row. Like, dude, I was hyped. And, and granted, you know, I picked Alex to win the fight, and, you know, I didn't mention that Izzy, you know, would definitely have a chance to win that fight, especially because when you look at the last fight, Izzy was up three rounds to one. It's just Alex got the TKO in the fifth. But the fact that he was able to knock out Alex, I mean, that was just wild. And then, bro, the celebration after where he did the arrow thing, where he was like pulling the arrows back and forth like that. Dude, that was, that was crazy. amazing. I like that. That was uh, awesome. Bro, I, I saw the Instagram picture where the UFC like posted it to their main page right after. Bro, whoever took that photo, it was ice cold. A1. It was a good photo. I just, you know, and the thing is, like like Kev said, you know, a lot of these fights, obviously, they get a lot of attention when there's this massive knockout, especially when it's a title fight. And, you know, is he knocking out Alex Pereira? I mean, Alex Pereira is a big dude. The fact that he was able to, to get that knockout it was really a thing of beauty by Izzy. The fact that he baited him on that knockout, like right before the knockout, man, you are you're different. You're different because that's how Izzy lost the last fight. He got his back up against the cage and Alex was able to get good shots. The referee had to call it off. But, you know, I mean, outside of that, you know, when it comes to like the UFC, like sometimes like some of these five-round fights, Sometimes they could be title fights. Sometimes they may not be. It just depends on the main event. Some of these five-round fights are just absolute wars. 
I mean, th- there's a couple that 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 come off the top of my head. You know, I, I could look like the Israel Adesanya, uh, Kelvin Gastelum fight. I think that was for the interim middleweight belt a couple years back. That was a flat out war. Those two were just going back and forth the entire fight. Um, you could look at the Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington uh, fight. It was the first one between the two where uh, Kamaru defended his welterweight belt. That was a five-round war. And Kamaru ended up getting a TKO against Colby in the fifth round. Where and Going into the fifth, that was a 2-2 fight. Um, you could look at another fight like Volkanovski versus Ortega. That was a fight where Ortega got damn near two submissions against Volkanovski who at that time was the champ in that division. I mean, you know, some of these five-round fights, I mean, you know, if it's a completely one-sided affair, it can kind of be a snooze fest. I remember the uh, the Kamaru Usman, uh, Tyron Woodley fight when Kamaru first got the welterweight belt. Like, that was a snooze fest because Kamaru just dominated him. But, you know, some of these five-round fights, they could be absolute wars. And, I mean, really, it really is a testament to both of like the fighters. If they're able to get to that 25 minute limit where they've basically just gone full out on their gas tank where they have nothing left in the tank. You know, I give a lot of credit to those guys. I mean, obviously those guys are going to be battered and bruised once the fight's over with, but man, I, I just, I look back to UFC 287. It, it was a great weekend. Uh, also, Kev, there was a, there was another fight uh, looking back in that main card. Let me pull up the main card for for you. So we have it here. Bro, we had Rob Font versus Adrian. Uh, I think the guy, guy's last name is Adrian Yanez. I could be screwing up the way that he pronounces it. Bro, first round, Rob was just throwing bombs towards Adrian. I mean, bro, these were like heat-seeking missiles when it came to his strikes. And, uh, bro, Rob got him out there quick. Got him out of there quick. I'm glad that this fight between Rob and Adrian finished in the first round because... Adrian was taking some damage in that fight. I think this fight only lasted, what, three minutes? That fight was not going to go longer than five with the way that those guys were throwing. So, you know, that honestly, like I said, UFC 287 lived up the expectations. And if you guys got a chance to watch it, it really was exciting, you know, especially with it being in Miami. I think that may have been a factor in why you saw so many clips because. You had literally just been there the week before. And uh, it was definitely a, a good showing in Miami for sure. I wish I could have watched a little bit more. I'm telling you, the fact that I have to live with the fact that I just, just missed it. It's frustrating as all hell, but you know, you live and you learn. It is what it is. Um, speaking of potential missed opportunities... I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that this is a surprise. I knew somebody was going to pay him, but this Odell Beckham contract signing, I mean, depending on who you are and where you stand with Odell Beckham as a fan, Odell cashed in, but this could blow up in Baltimore's face. So, Kyle, I'll let you kick this one uh, my way. Yeah, obviously the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes had been going on all offseason. There were a lot of reports about where Odell could potentially end up and uh, with him signing with Baltimore, he is going to be a Raven going into next year. Like I said, at the top, I signed a one year deal upwards of $18 million. 15 of that is guaranteed. 15 million of that is guaranteed. And, you know, if you're just looking at this from an outside in perspective, 
you know, this is the move that could potentially entice Lamar Jackson to stay long-term with the Ravens. And, you know, that's where Kevin and I are going to go with this. So, Kev, I'm going to kick this one to you. With OBJ signing with the Ravens on a one-year, $18 million deal, do you think that's enough to entice Lamar Jackson to stay in Baltimore long-term? Uh, sorry about that. I had a phone call for a second. Um, I, I, I'm not torn on this because I think it's crazy. I think that Baltimore prioritizing specifically going after Odell and giving him this money, it almost makes them look hypocritical. The reason you don't want to pay Lamar is because of his injured history, because of his checkered injury history. Then you go and you give 15 guaranteed million to a receiver that hasn't had over 1,000 yards in the last three years and has torn his ACL twice. You go out and you bring in a potential locker room distraction. You go out and you create a different narrative. Oh, you're willing to pay this injured player this amount of money, but not a franchise quarterback that has a playoff win, that's gotten an MVP, that has had multiple playoff appearances, division type. I mean, he's done it, right? Lamar Jackson has the checklist of a potential franchise player, right? He's proven that time and time again. The injury history, it comes with the territory of being a mobile quarterback. He can throw for 4,000 yards, but he can also run for almost 2,000. He's going to give you 30, 40 total touchdowns in a season. He's going to be, uh, he's gotten a lot better with the accuracy as well, but he's also limited in weapons. So I understand the need to go out and get a playmaker, to get a wide receiver, but to go and sign a injured one, an injured history, a, a, a notable player that has brought not turmoil, but issues to already existing problematic locker rooms. I don't know if this makes Baltimore look good in Lamar's eyes, but there was that screenshot supposedly of Odell and Lamar FaceTiming. They hit the internet. It seems like they're in communication. I believe that Odell would not have signed in Baltimore to be thrown to by Tyler Huntley. There has to be some form of an indication that this had to be discussed in the background between the three, and by the three, I mean Baltimore, Odell, and Lamar. I know that the last time a report came out, which was a few weeks ago, was Baltimore kind of throwing Lamar's camp under the bus saying, hey, we offered him a three-year deal at like $40, $45 million a season, but he turned that down because he wanted five years fully guaranteed. So I don't know where this is going to lead in terms of how this is going to repair the issues with Lamar and Baltimore. I don't even know if this is going to assist them within the salary cap issue as well, because we all know that 15, potentially $18 million dollars it's pretty pricey for a receiver that hasn't done very well or played much in the last two seasons. So we'll see what happens with that. I think that this does help the credibility of Baltimore to say, hey, we went out and got you a target. Um, we went out and we, we got somebody that's better than, you know, Bateman and, and, and Duvernay and all these other hole-in-the-wall receivers we had. And I, again, I'm torn because we know what Odell can produce when healthy. It's just a matter of, can he do what he used to, which I don't think he can, after repairing that knee as many times as he has? So time will tell. Uh, like I said, I'm 50-50 on it. I think that this helps, but at the same time, this may look bad on the other part. I just think that FaceTime conversation, or at least that screenshot, makes me believe that Lamar is happy with the decision. I mean, I think if you're looking at this from Lamar's perspective, obviously when it comes to the offense, this is the main part that they had to address was the wide receiving core and you know when it comes to just name recognition with Odell Beckham Jr obviously that's a big name that you're bringing into Baltimore but like you said 
it's this injury history that you have to contend with. And, you know, coming after a second ACL surgery, that's going to be a tough one for me. Because I will say before he unfortunately tore his ACL the second time, when he was a member of the Rams in that brief stint that uh, he was a part of, the team that eventually won uh, Super Bowl 56, he was looking phenomenal. It looked like almost that similar type of OBJ that we saw early on in his tenure with the New York Giants. But, you know, unfortunately, that those ACL injuries, they're very difficult to come back from. And now that he's got a second one, you don't know necessarily what you're going to get. Are you going to get Odell Beckham at 100% or 80% when it just comes to the typical productivity that we see from him on a year-in, year-out basis? And I will say... When it comes to what the Ravens have at their wide receiving core now, compared to what they had a couple months ago, it is improved. Is it to the point where, do I think that this wide receiving core can contend with the rest of the division? Maybe? Because when I look at this depth chart, when it comes to their wide receiving core, obviously Odell's at the top. You've got Devin Duvernay. You've got Rashad Bateman. And they also added Nelson Aguilar. It's not the worst wide receiving core um, compared to what they had a couple months ago, which was really, really shoddy at best. So you look at OBJ, Devin Duvernay, you got Mark Andrews. At least those are some decent targets to roll with going into next year. But the, the biggest one is obviously Odell. Can Odell stay healthy? And can he produce at a high enough clip to where Baltimore's offense isn't so reliant on the run game because, you know, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's earned a big payday contract. He's earned a contract that's going to garner him probably 40 to $45 million a year annually. And he has single-handedly carried this offense over the last couple of years. Obviously they've had a really good run game, especially early on in his like first and second year. But you know, when it comes to J.K. Dobbins, you know, J.K. Dobbins has kind of had a checkered injury history as well. Maybe not as extensive as OBJ, but there have been times where Lamar's had to really run this offense basically on his own back, and he's been able to effectively do it so far. And then, unfortunately, he goes down with injuries, especially the last two years, and the timing of it couldn't have been worse because it was at the end of the season when they probably needed him at the most. But... You know, when you're putting that type of pressure on your quarterback to be able to produce at a high clip with not a lot of targets and weapons to work with, you're going to get the results that, unfortunately, Baltimore has gotten over the last couple of years. So, for me, if I had to say, is this enough to keep Lamar there? It's a toss-up. I don't really know. I know that they tagged him with the uh, the franchise tag. I believe it's the non-exclusive tag, if I remember correctly. Is it enough to keep him there? I don't know, to be honest with you. I I, I want to say yes. The optimist in me says yes. But with the way that things have transpired in Baltimore over the last couple of years, more times than not, I'm very up in the air on this one. You know, maybe if Odell and Lamar are able to work on their chemistry with the offseason still going for the next couple of months, you know, maybe we'll kind of find out more over time and maybe we'll get a better sense of 
the direction of where Lamar wants to go down the road. But I, honestly, I'm 50 50 at this point. And I know it's not a yes or no answer, but honestly, that's just how I see it at this point in time. I mean, realistically, it's the only thing you can say because of how bad the relationship between Lamar and Baltimore has transpired over the last, just, just the last few weeks. When Baltimore leaked that report, that diminished like all leverage the media thought like, oh, Baltimore is crazy for not paying them. They tried to meet in the middle. You want five years? We'll give you three. You want this money? We'll give you this money. Like, mm -hmm. dude, you have to be able to read the room, take what you can get. You have an injured history. Plus, you're representing yourself or your mom's rep representing, whatever the case may be. All of your leverage is just slowly fading away. Your credibility, all the angles that you're trying to have the media approach, oh, Baltimore doesn't have faith in me. Baltimore doesn't believe in me. Well, they went out and got you a weapon, regardless of how they went and did it, regardless of who they signed. They made an actionable item, or should I say an actionable task, and they checked it off the list. You said get a receiver. We got what the best was available at the time. The draft is coming up. They still have opportunities to do that as well and build that receiving core that much deeper. The pressure's all on Lamar. The advantage is completely in Baltimore's favor at this point because I don't know about you. I haven't seen a, a lick of any rumors or information that Lamar is looking to, to meet with other teams. I mean, the Jets are still trying to get Aaron Rodgers. Like, we have no concept. The, the Colts were linked to Lamar Jackson for like a week during the Combine. And then that disappeared. So, like, yep. I, I, seriously, all the sportscasters are talking about it. All the media outlets are talking about it. There has to be a reason, and I'm starting to believe it, that nobody wants Lamar Jackson. Now, whether or not that has to do with, again, him representing himself or his checkered injury history, there's no way teams aren't reaching out to a former MVP in his mid-20s who is athletically gifted to throw and run the football as effectively as he can. It's deeper than what they're leading on, and I think that's why Baltimore is still holding on to a thread of saying, you've tested the market for a few months now. The season ended in February. It's April. We tagged you non-exclusively. You've had an opportunity to speak with countless teams unless an action happens on draft night, which we've seen, like I said before, multiple times. Exactly. We've seen multiple uh, Pro Bowl, All-Star caliber players get traded on, on draft night. We got less than three weeks before the draft, so I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch. But this Odell signing, it's, Kyle and I literally cannot definitively say it's good or it's bad. Because on one side, you have the cap situation. You're not willing to give guaranteed money to an injured player, but you go and give $15 million guaranteed to this guy. Whether or not it's one year, that's $15 million that is on the books this season that you take away from Lamar. And then on the good side, he's been talking about targets. You go and get him the, the, the potential of having an all-pro caliber receiver. But again, injury. It, it's a risk. It's, it's, it's a big give and take. It's a high risk, high reward. If it pans out and both can stay healthy. If Odell can get, I don't know. I'm not even going to say a thousand yards at this point because I feel like that's asking for too much because I'm, I'm going to expect that Odell may miss a game or two. Lamar may miss a few games. Let's just say for the sake of the argument, 750 to 850 yeah. yards. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Five touchdowns, you know, like 70, 80 receptions because Odell's not going to beat you over the top anymore, at least unless it's a blown coverage. I don't think he's got that 4-4 speed anymore. He'll be good um, over the middle. He exactly. still can run those routes I, I over think, the middle. Well, Odell's probably also going to be conservative because of the injury. He's going to be very careful. I, I, I get it. You rehab long enough. You got to build confidence. It's also a mental thing. But 
We're not talking about one ACL tear. We're not talking about a sprain. We're talking about two. So injury history is not looking good, but I don't want to dwell on it too much longer. It's an interesting topic to have a conversation on. And of course, draft night's coming. Yeah. So if anything's going to happen, it's going to be that night. It's just for me, it's really just hard to gauge the situation at hand because I mean, Kev, how many reports have we gotten about Lamar Jackson over the last two months about whether he stays in Baltimore? Bro, it's like every week there was something. And honestly, what the last couple of weeks has been relatively mum. It's been relatively Mm -hmm. quiet. So that doesn't mean that there's nothing going on. There could be things going on behind the scenes. They just have a leak to the media. But for me, I just don't know like what team would be willing to pull the trigger. I mean, I, listen, you bring somebody like Lamar Jackson into the fold. Granted, you're going to take a huge hit when it comes to the price tag. But I'm saying like, there's a big upside that comes along with it too. It's just, you'd have to really kind of look at the teams that be able to swing it with the, the available cap that they have at their disposal. You know, if you're going to take on somebody that has a, what, $40 million to $45 million hit every single year, contractually teams might just be like, all right, you know, that's just too high for us. Like we can't, we can't play ball. I think we didn't we like, I think we may have talked about this off air. We're like, I, I don't think it would ever happen where maybe like, maybe like Baltimore and Arizona would do a swap. That would be so weird, but it would make zero sense. Kyler's going to miss half the year. Lamar's willing to hold out. Like I thought we'd have like a, like, I thought we mentioned this in past. I think I think we I think we talked about Chicago, like a, the swap for it was Chicago, not Arizona. It was uh, Justin Fields for Lamar. Maybe. I don't think we talked about Kyler. Maybe it was def it was definitely Chicago. We mentioned it because that was one of the first rumors that came out. Like if when Chicago still had the first pick, if they were willing to give it away, it would probably be Maybe, best for yeah. Baltimore to go in because they'd get Lamar back. Yeah, I had this random thought that maybe it was Arizona, but maybe I was wrong. Yeah, but. No, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Like Kev said, you know, something could go down on draft night with Lamar. And honestly, we'll just keep our eyes and ears focused on it uh, whenever we get something new. But uh, I will say, you know, just from a name perspective, Baltimore made a big splash with OBJ. You know, and there's there's an upside that comes along with that, too. I don't want to dismiss that either. Diminish that, yeah. But, you know, it, it's a high-risk, high-reward strategy as far as I see it with Baltimore you know, taking OBJ, but we'll kind of see where things go from here on out. But with that said, we're going to transition to our NBA playing tournament games. Like I said, at the top, we got four games to go over. Uh, we got two on Tuesday night. We got two on Wednesday night. Uh, the first game we're going to go over is going to be the Hawks and heat game. Uh, this game is going to take place in Miami. Kevin, and I have been looking over the injury reports with both of these teams. And to be honest with you guys, we don't really know what the best information is because we were looking at ESPN and they had a couple of heat players listed as doubtful with Max Drews and Kyle Lowry, uh, Kyle Lowry, excuse me, listed as doubtful. But then I was looking more into depth with their uh, injury reports. And they said that Kyle Lowry was questionable. Max Drews was probable. So, if I had to guess, more than likely, if there's reports coming out that these guys are probable or questionable with Miami, more than likely going to play. But nonetheless, 
We still got playoff implications on the line here with this playing tournament game between the Hawks and the Heat. And it's definitely going to be a fun one when these two go at it Tuesday night in Miami. So, Kev, I got to kick this one to you. With the Hawks going to Miami to play the Heat in this playing tournament game in the Eastern Conference, who do you think is going to win and why? I mean, I got Miami clear as day. I mean, I don't have this as a close game at all. The last couple of years, whenever Atlanta has gone to Miami in a playoff atmosphere, it has not gone well for Atlanta. They get very physical with Trey Young. They force him to turn the ball over. He shoots very inefficient from the field whenever he goes up against this physical defense. I mean, you put Jimmy Butler on somebody like a Trey Young. I mean, you got the height advantage, you got the weight advantage, and then, of course, Jimmy's a very gritty and... and Big shit talker getting in Trey's ear. And unless Trey pops off for 40, 50 points, I don't think that this game is going to be close. I know that they've acquired DeJounte Murray. I know that John Collins was at one point on the trade block, but he found a way to bounce back this year. Maybe not to an all-star level, but to kind of give Trey some assistance. Clint Capella's always been solid down low, but I just think that the overall experience with Miami, the physical capabilities of what that team is able to provide, especially being coached by Eric Spolstra, I just think that they are not necessarily ready to make a run. I just think that they are a little bit higher in the power pole in terms of where I think they stand in terms of like the Eastern Conference. I think Miami is just that much better. I like Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. I like Jimmy Butler in a must-win game. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody, I don't know about everybody, actually. Let me not say that. Let me rephrase. A lot of people that I talk to agree with my mindset that Jimmy Butler is a very underrated player. And earlier, not this year, but earlier last year when we had uh, my boy Mike Casada um, guest star on the show, we all agreed that Jimmy Butler is just a different breed of basketball player. Like that is a person that belonged in the 80s and the 90s era because of the, the mindset that he has. And when Jimmy is in the playoffs, he just jumps into another category. Like he is a superstar when it comes to the postseason because he just turns it on. And I forgot who was talking. I don't know if it was Steven Jackson on his podcast with Matt Barnes or Kevin Garnett on his podcast with Paul Pierce. I think it was actually Kevin Garnett now that I'm rec- uh, remembering. There's just a different gear to Jimmy in the playoffs. And when that gear is turned on, it is, it's a whole different person. So for me, I think it's going to be not necessarily a blowout, but if you can get into Trey Young as, as, as physical as humanly possible, Jimmy Butler gets it going. Bam Adebayo can get it going. I think that Miami handles Atlanta, and I think that the the narratives that Trey Young potentially could be moved this offseason are going to be looming. And if Miami embarrasses Atlanta, I think Trey Young may be on another team come next season, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, Kev, I agree with you on this one. I I do think that Miami is going to get this win, and they would clinch the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference because Miami's the seventh seed. Atlanta's the eighth. Atlanta's the eighth, yeah. Then then Atlanta would basically play for their playoff lives then at that point if Miami were to win. But no, I'm with you 100% on this one. Uh, I will say, I don't expect this to be a massive blowout by the Heat. I think it's going to be competitive. But I think at the end of the day, Kevin really hit it on the head as far as I see it. I think when it comes to Jimmy Butler, he's the one that elevates his game especially when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, obviously, we remember when the Heat were in the bubble, they were in the NBA Finals, and Jimmy Butler was single-handedly carrying this team to get one victory over the Lakers when they were facing a potential sweep. But when it just comes to Jimmy, Jimmy is that one player you just love to have at your disposal, especially in playoff time. And I think in this game against the Hawks, 
I think he's going to elevate to the point where I think he's going to be extremely efficient from the field. Obviously, he's got a great mid-range game. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a couple three-point shots. I know that's not his specialty. And I imagine if he finds a quick lane to get to the hoop, he's going to take advantage of it as soon as possible. I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy drops somewhere around 30, 35 points against the Hawks. But when it comes to the role players for both teams, I'm actually expecting the three-point shot to be a pretty big element in this game. Uh, simply because when it comes to Trey Young, obviously you have to respect his, his three-point shot. If Kev is right where I think the Heat are going to focus on Trey, you know, then you're going to have to kick it out. Then you're going to have to focus on guys like Bogdanovich. You're going to have to focus on guys like DeJounte Murray. And we're going to see whether or not these guys are going to rise to the occasion to be able to step up for Atlanta. But I think that playoff atmosphere in Miami is going to be too much to overcome. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see guys like Max Strews, a pop-off. Now, Max Strews, for me, could potentially be their X factor in Miami because he has the potential to get really hot behind the three-point line, especially if he's given good opportunities. That's somebody to potentially look out for. Obviously, you've got Tyler Hero on top of that. Um, Tyler Hero's been very consistent throughout his NBA career so far. He's had some big moments in the playoffs throughout his early NBA career. I wouldn't be surprised if he drops potentially 15, 20 points, knocks in about three or four three-pointers. And then, you know, I'm looking at this one-on-one matchup down low to kind of get away from the three-point element. This one-on-one battle that's going to take place between Clint Capella and Bam Adebayo, I think it's going to be very interesting because, you know, both of these guys, I think, are going to have a huge battle down low. It's going to be a huge battle for just position and trying to get rebounds. And, you know, when it comes to Clint Capella, you always have to respect his shot-blocking capabilities. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a couple blocks uh, against the Heat. But I think that Bam does present an offensive challenge that Clint's going to have to contend with. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bam probably drops somewhere around 15, 20 points and maybe gets somewhere around 10 to 11 rebounds in this game. But overall, I, I'm i just, when I think of this game and how I see it play out, if you were to play this game out 100 times, I would say the Heat probably win this one 70% of the time. And I'm going to roll with the Heat. I think the Heat clinch the seventh seed. Uh, they move on to the playoffs. And then that would present the Hawks uh, pretty much a do-or-die situation on whoever would win the Bulls and Raptors game that takes place on Wednesday night. But I got the heat in this one, and I think they win this one relatively comfortably, but I don't think it's going to be just an outright blowout. But the heat will advance as far as I see it. Yeah, I'd probably say 10, 12 points. Um, I mean, I say it every year, uh, especially since Jimmy was in Chicago. Kyle knows that I've been a personal big Jimmy Butler fan for a while, just as a, a somebody that appreciates his game. I even said it in Miami when Jimmy popped off like 30-some points a couple weeks ago when I was down there. Every time Jimmy shot, every time Jimmy made a shot, as much as I wanted Dallas to lose in general, I enjoy watching him play because he popped off like 11 or eleven or 13 first-quarter points silently. couple mm-hmm. and-ones, couple middies, couple offensive rebounds. He's just an all-around good player while at the same time taking the initiative to go and guard Luka himself. Like... Mm-hmm. He is just that guy, even in his 30s. He doesn't get a lot of national recognition. He's not a Giannis Antetokounmpo, a Nikola Jokic. He's never in the MVP discussion. But when you talk about the playoffs, there's not many players that you can say take that next gear. And I will make a bold comparison. It's very Kobe-esque. It is that I'm going to do whatever it takes to win because for me, it was solidified in the bubble. 
This man, yeah. Jimmy Butler, played back-to-back games with, I think, 30 seconds, if not less, of rest. And he was dropping 30-point triple-doubles in the finals against a stacked Lakers team. And he was visibly dead. Barely can stand up. I mean, the guy was gone like maybe a, a, just a day rest in between those games. Jimmy was probably sitting in an ice bath for probably half the day the next game. And I, I'm telling you, I just earned a different level of respect for Jimmy Butler. And I, I love him as a player. I really do. You remember that one picture of him where he was hunched over over the... Uh... Not the stanchion, but it was like kind of like one of like the uh, the advertising the barriers, boards. the dividers. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, bro, when I look at that picture, if you were to go in a dictionary or an encyclopedia and you were to look up the word effort, his picture would be right there, just because you know what you're gonna get out of Jimmy night in and night out. Granted, you know there might be nights where he's just off; he's just not making his shots, and that happens in but, the sport. But the effort. You can never question that with Jimmy. Never. And, and, you know, I think another thing that you could probably apply to Jimmy is he's just steady. He's just steady. And granted, like you said, he's not flashy. He's not going to get that MVP chatter like some other players like Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid would get. But the consistency and the steadiness that he provides, not only for himself, but for Miami, you know, that's something that I think Miami really appreciates. Even though they haven't gotten an NBA championship out of it, the effort, nonetheless, is still there. Damn right. Hey, I, if anybody gets a playoff nickname, they, they make fun of Paul George, playoff P, and all that. There's a playoff Jimmy. It, it, oh, 100%. It, 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 you know, you got the uh, the uh, untucked Kyrie. You have face mask, Kobe face mask, LeBron. Playoff Jimmy's a, a personality in and of itself because that man is always ready for something in the playoffs. But alas... We have three more games we got to cover and another segment afterwards. So, Kyle, I'm going to kick this next one to you since we're going to talk about your boys. The Los Angeles Lakers, I believe, at the end of this season, had a 15-7 and record to close out the regular season, which is the best record post-All-Star break. Mm-hmm. They went from a 12th seed to the 7th seed in the Western Conference. And they are currently in a win-now, become the 7th seed against the lacking or um, imploding Minnesota Timberwolves. So with the interesting narratives revolving around Minnesota and the Lakers being one of the hotter teams in the league, give me your thoughts on who's going to come out of this game and why. Boy, I wonder who you're going to pick. Yeah, just give it away. I'm going with the Lakers on this one. Uh, Obviously, I'm a Lakers fan, so there may be a little bit of bias here, but I'm going to put my bias aside. I'm just going to look at this game as objectively as I can. When it comes to the Lakers going up against the Timberwolves, the Lakers are going up against a a Timberwolves team that I think is just going to be undermanned compared to what they had literally two to three days ago. We're not talking about where some players on Minnesota like suffered some significant injuries and they've missed a lot of time. We look at the situation that the Timberwolves are going through. Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert got into a scrap the other day on the sideline during a timeout. And... They had to be separated, and Rudy Gobert was suspended for this upcoming Lakers game. He didn't even go on the the flight to L.A. for this game. So Minnesota was on the mindset. It's like, no, you're not going anywhere. You're suspended, and you're just going to have to accept it. And then on top of that, you've got Jaden McDaniels, who received a technical foul, I think got tossed out of the game, and then proceeded to walk down the tunnel and punch the wall in the tunnel and fracture his hand. So... You're talking about not having Rudy Gobert, who's an excellent rim protector, gets a bunch of rebounds. Granted, 
not the strongest offensive player, but that's a big body that you're going to miss. And then you got Jaden McDaniels, who has the potential to get some decent shots up and put up some decent, decent point performances out with a broken hand. Now you're basically just going to roll with Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. Is that going to be enough to contend with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and essentially some pretty solid role players that the Lakers have been getting great minutes from ever since the Lakers made this trade to get rid of Russell Westbrook and bring D'Angelo Russell, uh, Malik Beasley into the fold. The Lakers have been running and gunning. And I think when it comes to just the, the cachet that these guys are bringing into the fold compared to what the Timberwolves have at their disposal, I just I don't think it's going to be enough. I think the Lakers are going to run, run away with this one pretty quickly. The last time that the Lakers and the Timberwolves played against each other, Anthony Davis dropped 38 points and 17 rebounds. Just absolutely balled out. Minnesota had no answer. And now you're going to tell AD, oh, well, you only have to worry about Carl Anthony Towns because you don't have to worry about Rudy Gobert. I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Davis goes off for another 30-point performance and gets probably somewhere around 15, 16 rebounds. I think he has a very good potential to hit that. And not only that, I think you know with LeBron finally getting more healthy from that foot injury, I think when he came back against the Timberwolves, I think he was just fresh off of uh, rehabbing that foot injury. I think he's going to be ready to go. He had a nice closeout uh, to the regular season, had a nice 30-point performance, hit eight threes in the closeout game for the Lakers for the regular season. I think that he's going into this playing tournament game on a hot stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if he drops somewhere around 25, 30 points as well alongside AD. And then you look at the role players. You look at D'Angelo Russell. You look at Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves, excuse me. All of these guys have stepped up in a tremendous way for the Lakers over the last month or so. And that, that's why Kevin said it at the top. The Lakers have been pretty much one of the best teams in the NBA, if not arguably the best team in the NBA post-All-Star break. And when I look at the rotations that these guys are running, they have a pretty solid rotation. And I think if they win this game, they would clinch that seventh seed in the Western Conference. And I think it would set them up nicely going up against the Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs. So we'll see how things play out when it comes to the Lakers and the Timberwolves. I think when it comes to the Timberwolves, they're just too depleted in this game. And you look at the Lakers, they've been on a hot streak of late. I think that momentum carries them into this game. And I think the Lakers win this one convincingly. This has the potential to be a blowout game as far as I see it too. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of respect to the Timberwolves. I think the effort is still going to be there. I just don't think they're going to be able to make enough shots. I think the Lakers win this one by about 10 to potentially 15 points. And I think the, the Lakers cruise their way into the playoffs, clinching that seventh seed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm going to agree to the, the fact of one thing. The potential of a blowout is there. But I think I'm going to go in a different direction. Rather than go the AD being the X factor here, I'm going D'Angelo Russell. 
I think he's going to have a little bit of a, a, you wanted to trade me? Great. Granted, it was a better situation in Los Angeles, but at the time, Minnesota and LA were kind of like in the same bubble of like flirting with a play-in. Obviously, they're still in it, but I meant like lower-seeded-wise. Minnesota was still trying to find their identity. Obviously, you had the injury um, to Carl Anthony Towns where he was gone for a while, and like the chemistry between Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert was eh, a little rough. But I'm talking about Minnesota was quick to get rid of D'Angelo, and I think that he's going to sit there and say, you know what? I'm going to show you what you're losing. I'm going to show you what you gave up, and I'm going to bust your ass. I really think that D'Angelo Russell brought a different kind of animal to the Lakers lineup. I'm not going to sit here and say that Russell Westbrook didn't provide a spark off the bench. I don't, I don't want to say that Russell Westbrook wasn't a, a top man for sixth man of the year candidate, but D'Lo is just a different breed right now. I mean, like he's just better offensively sound. He obviously is a way better shooter than Russell Westbrook. He may not be the rebounder or the facilitator that Russ is, but for what the Lakers needed at the moment or in that moment, it was perfect. You needed another person that can score off the ball. You needed another person that could score when LeBron and AD are off the floor. You needed someone that can run the pick and roll while at the same time being able to knock down shots. And that's what D'Angelo Russell has done for the Lakers. Now, before we even get into Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Mo Bamba, I think that genuinely, based upon what Minnesota has lost in a perimeter defender in Jaden McDaniels, in a rim protector in Rudy Gobert, the potential for this to be a, a, a disgusting blowout is there because you lost your two best defenders. Carl Anthony Towns, let's be frank, he's not exactly known for someone that's going to go and protect the rim, block shots, and alter things. He has been shown to be very soft. On the offensive side, he can go out there and give you 35 and 12. It's not a question. But we all know that Anthony Davis is a lot more of a physical defender than Carl Anthony Towns is. So I think that that is going to be a very interesting matchup in and of itself. But Mike Conley's not what he once was. He's on the older side of, of, of in his later 30s. And then, of course, him and D'Angelo Russell, they were swapped point guard for point guard. So I believe that D'Lo's going to take advantage of that. And then I'm missing the biggest piece. 38-year-old LeBron James. He Who's going to guard him? I don't know, because the sure as shit wasn't going to be McDaniels. I think that McDaniels is a little bit smaller, a lot skinnier. That that would have probably been D'Lo's assignment, but I, I don't know what Minnesota is going to do between this three-headed monster. And Kyle already talked about, when you talk about the other additional role players, like a Schroeder, like a Vanderbilt that can hit some open shots, like a shooter like Malik Beasley can, if he gets a couple going... He's a deadly person to watch on the outside. LA's hot at the right time. Minnesota truly is crumbling from within at the epitome of the worst time in the season. And I think that the Lakers solidify themselves as the seventh seed. And uh, they'll be facing Memphis if they win this game in a seven-game series. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, it's just, to me, I think, you know, when we look at this game from a macro perspective, just leading into it, it just it seems to me that the Lakers have the momentum at their backs right now. The, the really the wind is at their sails, and like you said, with them being as success as successful as they've been post the All Star break, it really is in part due to this trade that they were able to facilitate to bring in a pretty solid rotation of players. You know, D'Angelo Russell has stepped up, obviously with him. The biggest thing has been injury. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup with some injuries over the last couple of weeks. But when he's on the court, he definitely provides great minutes for the Lakers. You know, obviously, I think Austin Reeves has really been kind of one of their superstars that they've been able to rely on coming from the bench because 
I mean, he, he can get into a groove really, really quick and he can knock down some pretty big three point shots. But you just you juxtapose that with the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are going in the complete opposite direction. They're just going through pretty much all of this drama internally over the last two to three days. And I just don't think it's going to serve them well going into this playing tournament game. I think more than likely they're going to have to be playing for the playoff lives. Uh, whoever uh, wins that Thunder and Pelicans game. I just don't see the Timberwolves winning this game. And then they would have to play the they'd have to play the winner of the Thunder and the Pelicans game. So that'll be very interesting to see uh, when that transpires. But I got the Lakers all day in this one. But to kick it to the first of the Wednesday games in the playing tournament, we're going to go over the Bulls and the Raptors. So this is the 9-10 matchup in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this game is in Toronto. So the Raptors are going to be the home team. Kev, this is, a, as far as I see, just from an outside looking in perspective, this is truly a toss-up game. In my opinion, I don't know how you feel, but I'll kick this one to you. We've got the Bulls and the Raptors going at it on Wednesday night for this play-in tournament game in the Eastern Conference. Who do you think is going to win and why? I'm torn with this one because I think that these teams match up very well. Now, listen when I say this, right? Both teams are very similar. They were a game apart in terms of where they land, landed in the standings. They both have athletic decent players because when you talk about Toronto, you talk about Pasco Siakam, one of the better two-way players in the league. We talk about Chicago. You have DeMar DeRozan, one of the best mid-range shooters, one of the best scorers in the league when he gets it going. You got Zach Levine. You got OG Ananobi. You got Scotty Barnes. You got to rotate between who's going to guard who. I think that Toronto can match up very well with those two players on the Chicago side. It is going to be pivotal for players like Nikola Vucevic, when you talk about um, Alex Caruso, Patrick Beverly, um, oh my God, I'm going to forget this guy, uh, 44 for the Bulls. Patrick oh Williams. My God, Patrick Williams is going to have to step up. Thank you very much. Um, it's going to be definitively the supporting cast that's going to have to catapult Chicago into this win because, again, OG and Barnes, well, not OG, or excuse me, not Scotty. Scotty's not the greatest defender, but when you talk about Who's going to guard who? You got to have Pascal obviously guarding DeMar DeRozan. And then you're going to have to have OG guarding Zach Levine. And then if you rotate between those two players, then that leaves somebody to have to go out there and, you know, guard Fred Van Fleet and so on and so forth. But if Scotty Barnes can find a way to get it going as well for Toronto, if, if Pascal Siakam can, can take advantage of the height mismatch on his matchup, if, you know, Jacob Pato can can get into the paint and provide some good presence as well on the defensive side. I think that this can go either way. I myself am going to pick Chicago because I like Zach Levine. I like what Patrick Beverly has brought this team since they acquired him in the buyout market. Chicago has been one of the better teams over the last 10 games. They're 6-4, and four, but you can also make the argument that Toronto was also 6-4 and four to close out the year also. I Again, I'm going with the underdog here. Again, just because I like Patrick Beverly. I like the grit. I like the hustle that he's provided. He was kind of like a little energizer bunny for what Chicago needed to get into the play-in. And when you talk about what Alex Caruso brings to the table on the defensive side as well as in the transition game, I really, really think that they can make some noise. Fred Van Fleet, we all know and love. He can go out there and give you 20, 25 points, 8 to 10 assists. He's just very streaky. Scotty Barnes has games where he disappears. And, uh, you know, OG Ananobi isn't exactly known for his defense, or excuse me, for his offense. So if he starts off cold, it's all going to fall on Pascal and Fred. 
I just think that Chicago has a lot more options on their side. And with the dynamic scoring combination of DeMar and Zach, it's going to be a very close game, but I'm going to lead with the Bulls. Yeah, Kev, I'm split on this one too. I could really see this game going either way in favor of the Bulls or the Raptors. I'm going to side with you, and I'm going to go with the Bulls. I think it just comes down to when I look at the setup when it comes to the rosters between the Bulls and the Raptors, I'm going to side a little bit more with the experience with DeMar DeRozan over someone like Fred Van Vliet with the Raptors. Uh, simply just because I think when it comes to these playoff moments, or I guess this really isn't a pl- playoff moment. This is a play-in tournament game. I favor DeMar to be able to knock down those mid-range shots more effectively, even though that everybody and their mother knows that DeMar is just this mid-range killer. The pace that he plays at, I think when it comes to this playing tournament game, I think it's going to suit his style. And if Toronto can't match match their defensive intensity to what he's putting out, I think that uh, the Raptors can have a real difficult time slowing him down. And Kev, it's like you said to me, like when it comes to just the players that we're going to see featured in this game, you know, you look at Chicago, obviously, you know, DeMar DeRozan's at the top of the list simply just because of what I outlined in him just hitting that mid range jump shot. Like it's nothing. You got Alice Caruso, obviously brings a huge defensive element to Chicago, but he could also drop you 10 to 15 points. He can knock down some big timely shots when Chicago needs it. On top of that, you've got your grit player in Patrick Beverly. He's definitely going to be somebody that is not going to get you a lot of points, but he's going to be somebody that just annoys the opposing team offensively. He's going to get up in your grill, and he's going to make things literally a living nightmare for that opposing team. And it's really good for Chicago to have someone like that on their roster. It's really just, you hate to go up against a player like that because they just bring a level of greediness and feistiness. And Patrick Beverly does that to a T as far as I see that. But, you know, I do think when it comes to the Raptors, I think the Raptors have some opportunities to be able to to get some timely shots against Chicago. Chicago's defense, they can give up points in big chunks. And I think they're going to need someone like Pascal Siakam to really pop off, probably get some around 20, 25 points. Scotty Barnes has a very good chance to do some big numbers. Granted, he's young. He's only, I think he's 21. He's relatively young. You know, he has the potential to get 25, 30 points if he knocks down his shots consistently. You know, OG Ananubi is always something that you have to focus on. And then, you know, what is Jacob Hur- what is Jacob Hurdle going to do for you down low? You know, these are the elements that we're going to have to focus on in this game. And as far as I see it, when I look at these one-on-one battles where, you know, you focus on Chicago and Toronto here, I think more times than not, I'd have to favor Chicago a little bit more. I'm not saying this game is going to be a runaway for Chicago. I think Chicago is going to do enough to get by and potentially win this game by, honestly, like three to five points. This is not going to be a runaway as far as I see it. And I think it's really just that DeMar DeRozan element that I don't think that Toronto is going to be able to hold up against. I think Toronto is going to have a difficult time slowing him down. I wouldn't be surprised if you know DeMar hits one of those game icing shots where you know Chicago's up two and there's only 30 seconds left and they run the clock down to about five or six seconds I wouldn't be surprised if DeMar would be that guy to knock down that timely shot that would get Chicago a win on the road mind you 
to, you know, potentially play uh, for their playoff lives, depending on who would lose that Hawks and Heat game that takes place on Tuesday. So overall, for me, it's a, a very close game as far as I see it with these two going at it. But I'm going to favor the Bulls slightly in this one in about a three to five point win. It's going to be interesting. Again, both teams have their own pros and cons. I just think Chicago's a little bit deeper. And of course, with Pascal Siakam being the only consistent offensive option on that team, as well as probably one of their best defenders, I think that puts Toronto in a very, very tight squeeze, especially if someone were to get into foul trouble. It's very limited to what they have on that bench. So we'll see what happens. Again, I like Patrick Beverly. I like what he brings to the table. And I think that... uh He's given them that little bit of a spark, which is exactly what they needed to kind of at least get into this situation to uh, go into their playoff hopes or continue their playoff hopes into the next round. But that's going to lead us into our final topic of the play-in tournament. And that game is going to be the Oklahoma City Thunder going up against the New Orleans Pelicans without Zion Williamson. Oklahoma City, they've proven a lot of people wrong, Chet. Holmgren went down for the year before the season even started. They have the youngest roster in the NBA at under 23 years uh, of average age. I believe they're at 22.8 years old. We're talking about shy SGA. I mean, I think he scored the most 30-point games in the in the league. I think he had like 45 30-point games this year, Dude, averaging over 30 a game. Insane. I mean, the guy was hooping all season long. Minus the decision to go and wear those Rocket Boy boots or, you know, Rocket Man boots earlier in the year and have a weird oh, caption the, to it. The, like the Red Tune boots? Yeah. My, minus making those weird fashion decisions, SGA didn't really do anything wrong this year except find a way to actually get this team, will this team, into a position of a playing game. So, Kyle, without Zion Williamson and the rise of OKC, what do you believe is going to happen with the outcome of this game? I'm going to favor the Thunder slightly in this game over the Pelicans. Uh, when it comes to the Pelicans not having Zion, that's a huge factor here. And you know, Kevin and I have talked about Zion in the past before. He's such a difference maker when it comes to the Pelicans. I mean, if he were in this game for New Orleans, I would say that New Orleans has the edge and they would probably beat the Thunder. But with him not in the fold, you know, they're going to be competitive nonetheless, but I just don't think that they're going to have enough to be able to overcome what the Thunder can do offensively. Like, like Kev said in the lead of it, SGA has just been a phenomenal basketball player this season. He is taking two to three steps in elevation in his game this year compared to the last couple of years. You know, you tie that with to the fact that they have Lou Dort at their disposal. I, I mean, these guys can play at a very high level. Granted, you know, the, the Thunder have been slowly creeping up in the Western Conference over the last couple of years. I will say that Sam Presti has done a really good job in really bringing talent into the fold. And then from an organizational perspective, you could just look at the coaches. They've done a good job to be able to foster and develop their players to where, where they are now. Because you look at SGA, for example, you know, a couple of years ago, people could look at him and they could maybe see some potential. But now you're seeing him live it out to his fullest as far as I see it. And honestly, you know, we may only be getting a glimpse of what SGA could provide, you know, two to three years down the road when he's essentially in his prime. You know, this is going to be a very competitive game nonetheless because, you know, when you look at the Pelicans, despite the fact that they don't have Zion in the fold, you got Brandon Ingram. And Brandon Ingram, I'll tell you right now, he can give you a 35-point performance. I remember 
this was maybe about a week ago where the Pelicans were at home playing against the Clippers. And Brandon Ingram, man, he just could not miss. You know, he can go out there, get you 35, 36 points easy. As long as he's getting good timing on his shots and got enough open space to work with, he gets you those 30-point performances. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's that huge focal piece for the Pelicans going up against the Thunder. And then on top of that, you still got CJ McCollum. you got Jonas Valanciunas. You've got Larry Nash Jr. coming off the bench. I mean, these guys could be able to put up numbers in big ways, but I like the youth here with the Thunder. I think I think the Thunder have a little bit of momentum on their side. I think this is where I think SGA could really pop off and get a huge 40-point performance. I think that Lou Dort could step up in a big way as well. You know, I think Josh Giddy is somebody that we have to focus on. Granted, these are young guns when it comes to the Thunder. And, you know, from a talent perspective, these guys are still very raw. They're still very young. And I think that they'll prove a lot of what they can do longer in their career or down the road in the future, I should say. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity that they'll take full advantage of. And I think they'll squeak past the Pelicans in this one. I think for me, the way that I see this one, I think that this is going to be probably like a two or three possession win for the Thunder. I think at most, this is going to be maybe a, a nine point win for the Thunder, but this could go right down to the wire as far as I see it, just because I think, you know, both teams are playing for their playoff lives here. You know, whoever loses this game, they're out. Like this is it. You don't get tomorrow if you lose this one. So, you know, I think this is going to be a very good game from beginning to end, but I'm going to favor the Thunder in this one. I think they're going to do just enough to squeak by the Pelicans and then potentially play the Lakers or the Timberwolves, depending on whoever wins or whoever loses that 7-8 matchup. So I'm going to roll with the Thunder here on this one. So for once, we actually have a difference of opinion. I'm actually going to go with the veteran leadership of the Pelicans. We saw what the Pelicans were able to do without Zion in a playoff series just last year, if not the year before, where they were able to take Phoenix to six games. We saw what C.J. McCollum has been able to do in terms of bringing that veteran leadership, having that second scoring option, and just having a dynamic overall guard play. Maybe not from the defensive standpoint because he's only 6'2", 6'3", but his shot-making ability, his ball-handling skills, his ability to create space at the two-guard is just something that is slept on. And then we all know that he is a pretty above-average shooting guard in terms of uh, being also able to facilitate the basketball. So I think that C.J. McCollum presents an issue to guard. And then I didn't even talk about Brandon Ingram. We all know Brandon Ingram can go for 40 points on any given night, depending on, like Kyle said, what is presented to him from a defensive front. Now, I would assume that's going to be Lou Dort's assignment, but if you get Lou in foul trouble, that's going to put Brandon Ingram, who is a very efficient free throw shooter at the line, which is going to get him into a rhythm offensively, which if his jump shot is falling, he's also an above average three-point shooter, and he shoots efficiently from the field. I'm not going to go out there and say above 50%, but he can knock some stuff down for you if he's left with enough space. Not to mention the height advantage of him being 6'10", 6'11", whatever the height is. We all know that he's a very lengthy and very uh, athletic three in terms of at the forward position. But he can bring the ball up. He also can distribute very well. He can rebound the basketball. I believe that his defense has improved since he's gotten in the league. And like Kyle said, when you talk about having the ability to rebound with Valanchunas and the rest of the depth of this franchise, I think that the Pelicans have enough in the tank, especially from being used to playing without Zion and the inexperience of what OKC brings to the table. I think that New Orleans is going to find a way to put SGA in specific situations where he's not going to be effective. He's not the world's greatest defensive player, so if you were to get him on a switch, 
back him down into the post. And if he's forcibly made, if he's forced to make a bad decision, put some people at the free throw line, that's going to eliminate him from the offensive game. He's going to be thrown off and then he's not going to be able to get into that offensive rhythm to put up those 30, 40 point performances. I think New Orleans, I think Willie Green and this team are going to be able to take advantage of the inexperience of OKC. The fact that Oklahoma City is in this particular situation, the fact that the Thunder go from a top two pick to a play-in tournament team shows the progression of what this team can do. When Chet gets on this team and he becomes healthy, I think he takes them to the next step. Give them a few years, man. Give them two, three seasons. I promise you they will be a top five seed in the Western Conference because this youth is only going to get better. And with the incredible amount of draft picks they have in the next couple of seasons, I think that that is only going to continue. Bring a star player over. Maybe if you can swing a Damian Lillard with a bunch of draft picks and you get him all the way back from Portland, I think he would take them to another level. Backcourt of Damian Lillard and SGA would be crazy. But that's neither here nor there. In terms of predictions, I think Oklahoma, excuse me, I think New Orleans can take this game pretty comfortably. I would agree with Kyle's prediction, probably anywhere from 5 to 10 points. But instead of going with OKC, I have the veteran leadership of Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum beating out the youth of Oklahoma City. Honestly, for me, I wanted to make a fun one of just a fun prediction overall. And I just wanted to go with the youth. I think this is normally I would those... agree with you. I like the underdog story. I just I think Brandon Ingram is that dude. When he's healthy, yeah, nasty. That's true. Oh, 100%. And you know, sometimes you know with me sometimes I'd like to go against the grain. You know, when you look at how both teams finished the year, the Thunder weren't necessarily the hottest team going into the tournament. I believe they finished 4 and 6 in their last 10 games. When you yeah. look at the Pelicans, they I think they finished 7 and 3 in their last 10, uh, so 6 and 4. No, 7 and 3, you're right. So I think overall, just like when it comes to the Pelicans, they, they are the, I would say the hotter team going into it. Um, but I'm going to go with the youth here on this one. I, I want to see if they could be able to rise to the occasion and really push the Pelicans to their, basically what they can handle at this point. And I, I think, you know, when you look at guys like SGA, obviously, you look at Lou Dort, you can even look at someone like Jalen Williams that has the potential to drop 25, maybe even 30 points. On any given, I'm not going to say any given night, but if the opportunities are there, he could give you that type of game. Yeah, I think, and he's you know, in discussion me, for rookie of the year as well. I mean, behind Paolo, he's playing exceptionally yeah. well this season. He dropped, tw- I think, when they were playing against Detroit, and obviously, you know, with Paolo being in Detroit, Detroit. Paolo's in Orlando. He, oh, well, I, I meant to say Orlando. My bad. But um, when the um, when the Thunder were playing. The the Detroit Pistons. He dropped twenty seven points with Jalen, so that was actually a pretty nice point total from him. And granted, mm-hmm. he's only twenty one years old. He's got plenty of time left, but uh, to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the uh, I think the Thunder got something to work with here for the future. If they fall short, it's it's going to be because the youth just didn't step up. But I think they got. I think they, they got have some a good foundation. I, That's I, why I said they got something three to build years, on. Man, okay, they got something to build. Nice. They got something to build on for sure. So that puts us in our final discussion, which we mentioned briefly in the Lakers segment. But, I mean, Kyle, I don't think I've ever seen... I got to send this one to you, bro. I I, I got it. Listen, bro, I feel like there's going to be some pettiness here between the both of us because I think we both look at the situation very similar. The situation that the Timberwolves have been going through the last 
two to three days. Hours. It's just, it's been unbelievably bad. This is not the situation that you want going into the playing tournament where you have teammates fighting during a timeout on the sideline. They had to be physically separated. You've got, you've got Rudy Gobert being suspended for the playing tournament game against the Lakers. He didn't even go on the team flight or the team charter to LA for that game. And then in the same game where Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert fight, Jaden McDaniels gets tossed after receiving, I believe, his second technical foul. And on his way in the tunnel, he breaks his hand with punching the wall. So, obviously, when it comes to the Timberwolves, they could be in a much better place. Uh, and that's just kind of putting it mildly. So, Kev, I'm just I'm going to keep this one to you. What do you make of all this drama with the Timberwolves going into this playing tournament game against the Lakers? Dude, I don't really have much to say. I mean, it's immature. I mean, some would say it's pathetic. I mean, you can make an argument that it's it's just it's overall soft. I mean, Rudy Gobert's had this narrative of being this kind of teammate since the Utah days. I mean, we all know what transpired when COVID was just starting to become a thing of him not taking it serious. The rift that he had built between him and Donovan Mitchell because of it, because multiple players had contracted COVID because of his immature acts. Well, maybe not necessarily correlated to because of him, but when he tested positive, he was around a bunch of people. And again, he is known for making bad decisions in the locker room, let's just say. So for this to happen on the sideline, my man, I'm not trying to act like I would have been big and bad if I was seven foot two and all that, but I don't know what the hell kind of punch that was for you to swing across the huddle and literally miss your teammate to the point where you swing at his chest. If you're going to swing at somebody, I don't see you going for the chest. So I'm going to go and correlate that with he missed. He uh, Some narratives and some reporters were saying that he missed on purpose because he knew he would be fine and suspended. He was suspended anyway, or he knew because that was his teammate. There's no defending him. I saw the heated discussion. I saw the replay multiple times. It looked like Rudy didn't have enough on it. He still missed Kyle Anderson's face by a mile. But for you to do that, knowing that the play-in tournament is in just literally two, three days, you know the outcome of what's going to happen there. Teammates get into heated discussions all the time. It's sports. It happens. You have to be aware. Situational awareness is critical here. You're going to fight for your life against one of the hottest teams in the NBA in the Lakers, who the last time you went up against, mopped the floor with you. AD damn near dropped 40 and 20, and you need all hands on deck. Now, when it comes to Jaden McDaniels, I mean, we've seen something similar to that when Amari Stoudemire punched the fire extinguisher after the Knicks lost to the Heat in a playoff game a couple seasons ago. Not a couple. It's actually been a while since then, actually, now that I think about it. Um, Again, emotions run high. It's the postseason. You're looking to stay competitive in a game. Who knows what happens if Minnesota wins the last couple of games? I, I don't know. But the fact that McDaniels goes and puts himself in that situation, lets his emotions get the best of him as well, and then you go and you fracture, break, whatever the case may be, to the point where you're not eligible to play, the Timberwolves players and personnel put themselves in this situation. And Kyle and I talked about this off-air. This team just looks like a bunch of immature children. I, I, I don't really know what else to say, what else to call it. Minnesota gave up an arm and a leg to go and acquire Rudy Gobert this past offseason, and it looks like it's flopped. In moments like this where you need your Supermax contract player to be available, your former defensive player of the year, multiple-time All-Star, to play in the biggest game of your season, and he doesn't play because of a dumbass 
wannabe fight with Kyle Anderson, it's dumb. I'm not going to sit here and defend Kyle Anderson for his comments either, but, I mean, when he said, I'll beat your ass or I'll beat the shit, whatever the case may be, whatever the quote is, I'm siding with Kyle Anderson, man, because it looked like Rudy Gobert is not about that life in general. I've never been a fan of Rudy Gobert. The fact that rumors are linking him to be a Dallas Maverick next season are beyond me because I don't want him. But for you to put your team in this bad of a situation with the playoffs looming right behind you, it's just a bad look. Minnesota has truly imploded at the worst possible time, and it's on themselves, and it's only their own fault. Kevin, honestly, I don't even know really what else to add. You literally hit it perfectly on the head. Honestly, I'm just going to keep this relatively short. I'm not going to, not really going to add too much, but I'll just say this. When it comes to the Timberwolves, you guys got to be better than this. The whole world looked at the situation with the Timberwolves. And honestly, I think they just got a chuckle out of it. Honestly, I just found this amusing because you're talking about going into a playing tournament game. And you guys are more focused on getting into an argument and trying to win an argument against your own teammates. And then with Jaden McDaniels, you get so mad you punch a wall and you break your hand in the process. That's not a situation that you want to be in. And when it comes to the Timberwolves, I think that was like their symbolic way of saying, we're just not going to really do much with this. Because, I mean, when you look at the situation with the Timberwolves from their roster perspective going into the Lakers game, they're extremely undermanned. You know, they're not going to have Rudy Gobert. They're not going to have Jaden McDaniels. And those are two key pieces that you you could have at your disposal. But unfortunately, emotions got the best of everybody, apparently, with, you know, Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert, and then Jaden McDaniels on top of that, you know, you got to be focused. And right now, just the Timberwolves just don't look focused. This is really the last place you want to be in. You know, you got to be laser focused going into this playing tournament. And it just seems like some of these guys are just focused on other things and, and trying to win these stupid, petty arguments and letting emotions just dictate their play. So, overall, for me, when it comes to the Timberwolves, this is the last time. This is really the last place where you want drama in a time like this, you know, with the playoffs right here. But uh, unfortunately, they just did not have they did not avoid that. And uh, I think when it comes to the Timberwolves, I think they're going to potentially get busted up by the Lakers. And then they'd have to potentially play either the Pelicans or the Thunder in a essentially a do or die game. And with the way things are looking with the Timberwolves right now, I think uh, I think symbolically they could damn near be ready to check out of this season based on how the regular season ended because it was not pretty. And this does not help their front office in the long run to retain Anthony Edwards. We all know that the former number one overall pick is a quick and rising superstar in the making. We know that he has the potential to lead a franchise into a playoff berth. I mean, a top eight seed. Carly Dean Towns was there as well. There's a whole lot of potential with this team. But when you look at your teammates doing things like this, knowing that the playoffs are right there, they haven't exactly performed to their expectations, even when they did have D'Angelo Russell since Anthony Edwards has been there. Again, I'm just saying the narrative doesn't look good for your teammates to make decisions like this when the most important time of the year is right around the corner. These are things that go into a superstar's mind to say, I can make more money here 
but I got to deal with this clown for the next five, six season. And, and he may not be the greatest teammate in the world. So I'm just saying long term, this may not be very well for Minnesota either, because I know for a fact, Cat's been injury prone. Mike Conley's old and Anthony Edwards is only going to get better as time progresses. There's a lot of exploring narratives here that could end up imploding even further when Minnesota looks at this in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and honestly, if things were, you know, fine-tuned and everything was running fine in Minnesota, I mean, honestly, they could be a really good team in the Western Conference. But uh, unfortunately, that does not appear to be the case right now. And uh, their playoff chances could be literally slim to none if they don't focus quick, fast, and in a hurry. Facts. Because going up against the Lakers, they're going to need to be on point to be able to get past a really, what I would consider a surging Lakers team at this point. That, Kev, I think that uh, that pretty much wraps it up. We, we, It's like we said at the top, we, bro, we had a pretty action-packed agenda, and uh, I think we knocked it out, bro. Unless you could oh, think of facts. anything else on the top of your head. Uh, no, not call, really. Call from here. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say one thing and one thing only. I told Kyle I'm not talking about it after this, moving forward until the offseason officially begins. <laughs> I told you so to everybody on MAV social media, NBA media, all my friends. You're being too pessimistic. You're being too negative. You're not even giving the man a chance. And what I'm referring to is, is the Kyrie Irving trade. I actually got into a conversation with a Nets fan at the gym today, somebody that I know. Um, and we actually talked about the pros and cons of the trade and whatever have you. Out of the three points that I made, which was Luka and Kyrie weren't going to mesh well, Kyrie in general was going to be a toxic addition to the locker room, and then defensively we were going to get worse, two out of three happened. Kyrie and Luka were not in sync in a lot of games, and they took turns kind of going for big games. Didn't make a difference. Neither of them are great defenders. And then, of course, overall, the team defensively got worse because we traded one of our better perimeter defenders for an offensive player. And at the end of the day, I was wrong about one point, and I said that Kyrie was going to be toxic. Everybody in the Mavs locker room, everybody in Mavs, um, in the organization as well as ownership, have said that Kyrie Irving has been nothing but a sensational teammate, a great leader in the locker room, somebody that you can talk to, very personable. So I will apologize for judging Kyrie's character as if I knew him personally. But overall, the trade did not pan through. We were fourth when we got him. We missed the playoffs. Yes, we tanked the last two games to protect our pick for this upcoming draft. But to be where we were with the potential that we had with those two superstars, I'm just saying, I called it. And with Kyrie not going to his final exit interview in the media for the season, it doesn't look very good. And now that Dallas has his bird rights to be able to give him a five-year Supermax contract extension and Mark Cuban saying that he's our priority, it's not good when your uh, potential superstar does not attend media day. And again, he said, and I quote, I will talk about free agency when the offseason starts. Usually you would answer those questions when the regular season is over, which was yesterday. He did not attend media day, and therefore he did not answer those questions, which means Kyrie's decision is just going to have to wait until basically July. So it's neither here nor there. I just wanted to make that final closing point of I told you so. It didn't pan out. And now, potentially, Luca may even leave after next season if we don't make any significant 
roster changes in the Mavs organization. So we'll see what happens, but I, I definitely had to get that off my chest because, Kyle, I told you, and you saw my timeline, everybody was talking about, oh my God, we're going to the finals. Oh my God, Kyrie Irving's going to make us a, a Western Conference Finals team for sure. Dude, I said first round exit before he got there. I didn't think it was going to be this bad, but holy shit, was I right. You feel better? I do. I do. I had to give that. I told you so to a lot of people. And people won't answer me on Twitter now, so I'm pretty sure either I was blocked or yeah. muted. So Yeah, I was, I was just about to say the same thing. But, uh, you know, you, you tell the truth wherever you could see it, bro. I, I give you credit on that. But, um, I mean, for me, you know, obviously, you know, the Kyrie trade overall didn't pan out the way that you wanted it to, the way that Dallas wanted it to. But uh, it was not from a lack of effort. Nope. Kyrie did everything he but, could. But I will say, and this is just my perspective, for granted, I'm not a Mavs fan. So if I'm wrong, you can call me out on it. I think what they did in that second to last game of the regular season was a disservice to their fans. Agreed. By resting pretty much all the starters, pulling Luka out of the game after the what the first quarter. First quarter. Yeah, I think he played 12 minutes and 30-something seconds. From a competitive perspective, man, you don't do that. I, I dude, I, I understand why. I, mean, I understand I, why they did it. But when your superstar I, comes out you, and says, "I'm gonna yeah. play until we're done, until it's over," and, and they were, and then you make an executive decision above his head and say, "You're not," and we're not. That's not a good look. That, we just talked about tank, leverage. We, we talked about leverage for the Minnesota situation with Anthony Edwards' future contract. You just gave Luka his Supermax, and this is how you keep your superstar happy? After he says publicly to the media, I'm, I want to keep playing, and then in his exit interview, he says, I'm not happy with how we ended the season? Bro, Mark Cuban has made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision since I have been a Dallas Mavericks fan. You let Nash go. After we win the championship, you go and you let Tyson Chandler and J.J. Barea, two pivotal pieces to why we won the chip, you let them walk. You don't address the big situation. Still haven't, by mind you. It's been 12 years. Haven't addressed that. You let Jalen Brunson walk for free, and then you go and you give up an arm, a leg, and a testicle for Kyrie Irving to lose him in free agency, to piss off your superstar, and then leave fans pissed off at the end of the year. But Mark Cuban wants to sit here and say, Kyrie's our top priority. What about Christian Wood? What about the center position? What about keeping Luka happy? I don't know about you. I don't think it takes a scholar, a multi-billionaire to read the room that Mark Cuban is painting. Nobody's happy in Dallas right now. Mm -mm. And I don't care how much money you are worth or what you make, or what you spend it on. But if you're going to focus solely on one player and not the organization, Mark Cuban's not in the right headspace. And if that's how he's going to organize the team, Luka will be gone after next season. And at that point, I mean, depending on what you get for him, I've said it a multitude of times, I wouldn't be upset if that happens. But that's just my opinion. For Dallas moving forward, this is a horrible way to end a year. It's an epic failure from last season. And moving forward, like going into 2023-2024 season, 
Bro, Luka Doncic is about to be in Slovenia for the whole damn summer and say, bro, I don't want to talk to none of you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't doubt I wouldn't even blame him. I wouldn't the, only blame th- him. the only thing is, though, you had to accept the fact that if you guys were to trade Luka, you guys would be like bottom of the barrel bad. Agreed, yes. But the haul we would get for him would be absolutely ridiculous. We would be probably more than what Rudy Gobert. If Rudy Gobert got four or five first-round picks, we're probably getting six, seven for Luka. Yeah, potentially. Because Luka's 24. But it's just, you know, then at that point... You is guys that going to do anything for us? No. Again, that's, you guys just, might like, be that's like, my personal opinion. You guys would basically be in the same category as like the Spurs and the Rockets. Unless we were to go after like a Pascal Siakam, a Bradley Beal, someone that could play both ways, like a superstar that plays defense, I truthfully and honestly don't think adding more offensive pieces is going to make this better. We're dead last in a lot of important stats or statistical categories. I don't, I, I, I don't want to see a Kyrie re-signing. I don't want to see linked to the Damian Lillard narrative. I, I, I don't want to see the, the Anthony Davis potentially being traded to the... I need somebody that's going to protect the rim, and I need somebody that's going to play defense. But alas, I can go down this topic for an eternity. Kyle, let's wrap it up. It's a little late on this side. Um, that's everything I had. Again, I just wanted to get that Mavericks thing right off my chest. Yeah, it's just... It wasn't a good ending, bro. Nope. Not, not, for, not for you. Just... Karma's gonna be a bitch if that pick ends up going to the Knicks anyway. Like if we get, like I think it's eleven percent chance of us getting the eleventh pick. If that card opens, Kyle, I'm gonna call you, and I'm just gonna say that's what we get. That's it. You reap what you sell, bro. Yep. Oh well, uh, guys. Like I said, that wraps it up. We are behind. I know yesterday we were supposed to record, but Kyle ended up having a late day. I was out for Easter with my in-laws, or should I say, excuse me? I know they hate when I say that. I know they don't listen, but just to clarify. Um, my girlfriend's parents and uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we spent time with our our families and prioritize them on a big day like Easter. So this is coming out obviously Tuesday morning. We're gonna have plenty of segments coming for the rest of the week. The NBA playoffs begin officially on Saturday, but the play in tournament is going to continue in the NBA throughout the remainder of the week. So we'll keep you updated, we'll keep you posted there. And then uh Kyle, if that's everything, man, that's everything I got for myself. I got nothing. I just once again thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, whether you guys are watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the audio platforms, we definitely appreciate the support. Uh, like Kev said, we'll have plenty of content rolling out over the next couple of days, so definitely stay tuned for that. And uh, we will be back later this week. Uh, we will do a Thursday night record. We'll upload the episode on Friday. I mean, obviously, all the play-in tournament situations or all the play-in tournament games would be completed then at that point. We'll definitely be paying more attention to the NBA playoffs because they'll probably start ramping up this weekend. So we got a, a lot to go over over the next couple of weeks, and we hope that you guys uh, stick with us for the ride. But until then, once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys later this week. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. 
I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.